Everyone agrees that we need a hell of a lot of investment, especially in our infrastructures. Nobody thinks they're fit for even the current purposes, let alone all the new ones coming down the track. We need revitalised and indeed new energy networks. We need offshore grids. We need water supplies. We need sewers upgraded. We need lots of railway investment, including Crossrail 2 and HS2. And of course, we need fibre and broadband and all the stuff that goes with it, the smart meters, the smart technology, the digitalization, and so on. However you cut it, if we're to meet the net zero targets and have infrastructure fit for the 21st century, it is an enormous investment challenge. Now, in the bad old days, this was done by charging customers on their bills enough money to pay for the investment. This was the bad old days of nationalisation. We paid as you go. Each generation did the investment out of their current spending, and then effectively the customers were forced to save, to set aside money, which would be paid to the nationalised industries, either through tax or through their bills, and that would be used to build all those power stations to build the infrastructure networks that we have today and we inherited. It was a generational chain letter. Today, we have a different story. It is that if it's about investment, then we should borrow to invest. The argument is that future generations are going to get the benefits and therefore they should pay for them. Never mind that a lot of this investment is to clear up the mess that we've left them with. All those emissions that we enjoyed, all that pollution that now needs to be cleaned out of our rivers, and indeed all that neglect of the railways and the transport infrastructure. Only the fibre and the broadband is genuinely new enhancement investment. The rest of it could reasonably be described as capital maintenance, ensuring that each generation inherits a set of utility assets of infrastructures, and indeed natural capital, at least as good as it had from the previous generation. So now we borrow, and we pretend that borrowing is something that we shouldn't be too concerned about. It's going to be financed by future people, they can pay. What's the problem? Well, there is a big problem here, and that's that debt doesn't appear just like growing on trees, a sort of number in some accounts that doesn't really matter. Debt, and indeed equity finance too, comes from someone's savings. The old identity is that savings equals investment. Keynes thought that investment caused savings, Victorians thought that savings cause investment, but whether it's one way or the other, there has to be savings in order for there to be investment. And that's where the problem comes. You know, we want all this investment, but the last thing we want to do is actually do the savings to provide the monies for that investment. We don't want to be forced to save by paying as customers and taxpayers monies that would otherwise have been consumption, and uh, that going in the old days via the nationalised industries. 
we want to get savings from somewhere else. And the one thing we don't want to do, apparently, is ourselves save. We want someone else's savings. And the answer is, since we don't save, and we certainly don't save enough to cover the national pensions, let alone anything else, we have to rely on the savings of foreigners. Foreign savings is what finances the investment programmes which we're so enthusiastic about driving forward within the UK. And when we look at those foreign savings coming our way, pensioners in Canada and in Australia, sovereign wealth funds in the Middle East, Chinese funds, when we look at all these sources of foreign savings, we have to bear in mind a macroeconomic context of this. Because it's not just that we don't save. It's also that we want to actually spend beyond our capacity. We want to live beyond our means, even before we get to the lack of savings that we are put in. How does this work out? Well, we currently import around 8% of GDP more than we export. In other words, we want to enjoy lots of imports, but we're not prepared to produce the stuff to pay for them. And so therefore, foreigners have to lend us the money to cover that excess consumption, that living beyond our means. And that shows up in the balance of payments. So there's a current account deficit, 8% of GDP, imports and excessive exports. And therefore, because the balance of payments has to balance, there has to be an 8% capital inflow to pay for that excess consumption. And that 8% capital flow is effectively someone else's savings. So the foreigners not only provide the monies for our investment, they effectively balance our balance of payments and allow us to live well beyond our sustainable means, at least for the moment. And so in comes that capital flow. And then, of course, the government runs a deficit as well. We're way off a balanced budget. And that means that foreigners also have to buy all those government bonds once the Bank of England stopped printing them, and that needs to be covered as well. So Britain, in a very serious sense, lives well beyond its means. And investment, all that investment that politicians keep queuing up to telling us is going to happen, they're going to do, is going to cause growth, and so on and so forth, all of that re relies on the well, kindness of strangers, or rather creating enough incentives to make it worth their while to effectively buy our family silver and create new family silver for us. Once we see the world in that perspective, a couple of things follow. The first is that it's not just a matter of borrowing to invest and letting the next generation pay, the next generation have got to pay sufficient to compensate foreign investors for the risk of having their money inside the UK. And when governments think it's very clever to go around having, for example, windfall taxes, whatever the merits of that might be, they have to remember that the people who are going to be most important in their reactions to these are not British people, they're foreign savers and therefore foreign vehicles for investment in the UK. Look out across the North Sea. 
Nearly all the assets are owned by foreigners. Look even at the debt and the equity positions of ownership of the water companies, the quoted water companies, it's foreigners in significant measure. Look even at BP and you'll see it's substantially foreign-owned. That's what effectively is out there and those foreigners have to believe that the British government is going to look after their interests going forward. Because if we don't, then we won't be investing. And if we're not investing, well, tough, then all those things we want to do and all that net zero and so on won't be achieved. So the next time you hear a politician going all along about how terrible it is to have foreigners owning our core infrastructure, that there are issues of vital national security at stake and that we ought to make sure that these things weren't in foreign hands, remember what the implication of that is. What that politician or what that journalist in the media is telling you is that you and I ought to save more because if we want things to be British, if we want great British energy, great British railways, great British water, great British nuclear, if that's what we really want, then we've got to have great British savings to pay for that. And that means voting in particularly the current context of the so-called affordability crisis to lower our current spending, our current standard of living, in order to be able to set aside the funds to be able to do the investment as us as British citizens and not as those Chinese or Middle Eastern or other foreign companies. That's what it really means. It's a demand that we live within our means and not live beyond our means. And what follows from that, if we like, the corollary of that is that we need to export as much as we import. We need to think seriously about whether we can really afford to buy all those imports if we're not prepared to do all those exports. And given Brexit's probably done, you know, maybe 5 6% damage GDP over time, we've made it a lot harder to close that gap. So there is no free lunch here. There is no escaping the reality of the situation we find ourselves in. And there is no escaping from the consequences of a politics and a public discourse which says we ought to live beyond our means. And whether it be COVID that hits us or whether it be Brexit, we should never be required to reduce our standard of living to address the investment requirements that are up there and the additional costs that things like COVID and things like Brexit have caused us. And, you know, the problem with living unsustainably, of having unsustainably high consumption, of having its savings are too low, is not only that you end up being in the hands of those foreigners that uh, government seems to want to free us from, but it also means that in pursuing an unsustainable strategy, it will not be sustained. And the tragedy of all this is that what we're really doing is kicking the can down the road and saying, this is what the next generation will have to sort out. This is what they'll inherit. So it's not just that we're no longer paying as we go to clean up the mess that we've caused to do the investment to ensure that the assets are in as good a state as we inherited them, but we're kicking a very, very nasty can of worms down the road for them to pick up and pay for. And that means that what we're really doing is saying they should have lower standard of living 
in order that we should have higher ones. And frankly, it's not fair. Thank you.